Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. We're in this little mini series before we jump into a focus starting next week. Next week, we're going to start talking about what it means to be a people who take ground, to be a people who enter into the promises that God has made available. But just in this little last two week period, we've been looking at what it means to live in the now to not live trapped between what was or trapped in what we imagine things to be, but to engage with the living God and what He says to us now. And the challenge that we have to hear and take hold of His voice, even in the midst of the wind, the rain, the storms, the earthquakes, the fires, the whatever, that God desires for us to connect with Him directly. And so uh, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 16 to 21, the prophet Isaiah sets the scene for God's people choosing to enter into the new, choosing to enter into what God has made available. And he writes this in verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army, and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honour me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Isaiah here is talking about a season in history where God's people who've been led out of slavery supernaturally and began the journey to enter into the promises that God had made available for them. And these were supernatural victories, things that they could not have enacted themselves where a whole army came in pursuit of them and they were supernaturally delivered even to the point of that army being not just driven back, but extinguished, it says there, like a wick. But it's interesting that Isaiah challenges the people not to dwell on the past. And you think, why not? Wasn't that such a great season of victory and breakthrough? Why not celebrate that moment? But see, in the midst of that season of breakthrough, in the season that season of God's hand at work, the overwhelming response that rose up in the hearts of the people was one of unbelief, doubt and fear. And when I read accounts like that, When I approach the Bible, I I automatically insert myself into the story and I start to see that I am often no different than them. That I have a memory of the things that God has done, things that I cannot deny, things that I've experienced, but how quickly I could immerse those memories and those thoughts and that undeniable victory into my own unbelief, doubt and fear. And it all gets mingled together. And what it does in me, I don't know if it does this in anybody else, is it shuts me down and causes me to miss out on what God's made available. And the prophet Isaiah is challenging a people that have maybe too good of a memory, not just of the victories of God, but also the doubt, the fear and the unbelief that was mixed amongst it. And he says to them, you're not gonna be defined by that anymore. He says to them, 
to let it go. It says, don't dwell there. Don't plant yourself there. Don't set up shop there. Don't set up your tent there. Instead, see what God is doing. Do you not perceive it? It says to me that Holy Spirit is on the move and wants to invite us, but do you not perceive it is almost like an invitation. I'm amazed with how God works through invitation and He invites us to see. So that means that it's possible not to see. It means that it's possible for God to be doing a new thing and even miss out on the new thing, to not see it, to not grab hold of it, to to dwell on what was and what has been and to, to live stuck back here while we're desperately trying to move forward. See, I believe it's the heart of God that we should be able to appreciate the past and we should be able to dream of the future, but we need to take hold of the God of the now and what He's wanting to do now in the midst of His people. Today, I wanted to talk with you about what it means to have a heart that says, I will not turn back. What it means to move forward into the things of God and carry with ourselves an attitude and a desire that says, there is no turning back for me. And I have to say, it is a choice. I have to say that there will be times where a decision like that will be tested. I have to say the reality of living life in a fallen world where things do not go as expected or as planned often, that we will be tested to see if we truly say there is no turning back in our heart, that we will have the opportunity often at times to turn back and think of the former things and dwell on what was and to live in that mixture of loss. But I believe it's the heart of God to call us forward to take hold of what He has for us now. With all my heart. I want to talk about what it means to be a person who says, there is no turning back in me. I want to talk today about somebody who inspires me to no end, a prophet out of the Old Testament, a man named Elisha. Elisha was the successor of a previous prophet named Elijah. Very similar names, no relations. You've got Elijah, Elisha. And Elisha for me embodies what it means to have a heart that says, I will not turn back. We pick up his account in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 to 21, where the previous prophet, the the standing prophet of God in the nation of Israel, the man named Elijah, has just had his encounter with God on the mountaintop where he has spent time running due to his own brokenness and his own fear and his own anxiety, living trapped in what was and living trapped in what he imagines will be. And caught between those two paradoxes, he starts to shut down even in himself the call of God in his life. And it's not until he has an encounter with the voice of God on the mountaintop, that He's able to hear and understand again that He is called to empower and enrich others. And He goes on a mission. Elijah goes on a mission from the mountaintop of God to start empowering other people to live out the call of God in their life. He's called to go anoint. Anoint means to empower, to equip others so that they could take the heart of God and advance on and take hold of the promises that we're available. And the first port of call is to find his very own successor, a man named Elisha. So we see in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 to 21. 
Elijah left there. He left the mountaintop. He left his place of meeting, of reconnecting with God and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, as he was ploughing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him and he was with the twelfth team. Elijah walked by him and threw his mantle over him. His mantle was his cloak. Elisha left the oxen and ran to follow Elijah and said, please, let me kiss my father and mother. Then I will follow you. Go back, Elisha replied. Elijah replied, for what have I done to you? So he turned back from following him, took the team of oxen and slaughtered them. With the oxen's wooden yoke and plough, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate, then he left, and he followed Elijah, and he served him. The man there, Elisha, goes on to inherit every gift, every ability that the prophet Elijah had and more. We have recorded in the Old Testament seven miracles that the prophet Elijah did. And then we have 14 miracles that follow on from the life of Elisha which goes to show that it's always the heart of God for us to take what we have and pass it on so people can do even more. That things could, should always advance and get better and bigger and grow. And that it's often those of us who choose to withhold what we have instead of sharing it, who rob the Kingdom of God of further advancement through the lives of others. The things are meant to multiply. Things are meant to grow. Things are meant to get more effective. Things are meant to get more powerful. And that represents the heart of God. But Elisha here is presented with an opportunity. So I think it's amazing to play out this account. And again, I try to imagine if I was Elisha myself. In the account, we find that he's working his field. He's got 12 yoke of oxen. He's working their hands on himself. And it seems to be that he's busy about his life. And it seems like it's a pretty good life. Seems like for the context of the day, he would have been quite wealthy, that he had everything together. And I don't know about you, but I I imagine sometimes when I'm working with hands-on tasks that my mind begins to wander. And I can just imagine him on this day just working his field with his hands, but his mind is somewhere else. And all of a sudden, he has the most unique situation happen to him that he couldn't have imagined. That this prophet, Elijah, rocks up out of nowhere without warning, without fanfare, and comes up and puts a cloak on his shoulder and then walks off. When talk about random, talk, talk about strange, talk about an interruption to your life. So I want to talk about this idea that it's the heart of God often to interrupt us and then disrupt us so that we can engage with Him with dedication and move forward through sacrifice, service and surrender. They were called to be a people that are open to the interruptions of the Holy Spirit that captivate us even in the middle of our day to day. You know, it's the heart of God to connect with us wherever we're at. That as we're going about our work, as we're going about our day, as we're going about feeding children, looking after, packing, planting, growing, doing whatever, cutting trees down, that it is the heart of God to even interrupt our day to day so that we can meet with Him. Because it's an invitation to connect. I want to say to you today that people who choose to not turn back 
in the things of God, people who choose to let go of the former things and not dwell on the past, are people first and foremost who are open to the interruptions of God. Because what happens in the moment of an interruption is that we allow our attention to shift from our internal world into what God could be calling us into. That we allow our attention to engage with God and connect with Him where He is at for us so that we can lead forward and take ground with Him. So the interruption allows us to punch through, to go into moments that we couldn't even imagine for ourselves. That as Elisha is working his day to day, the prophet, the superstar, the one who is esteemed and looked up to enters into his story and he causes the greatest disruption possible. He puts his mantle on his shoulder. Now I understand we don't often say that word mantle in our day to day language. But what it was is it represented the office of an Old Testament prophet that they would wear on themselves a cloak or a heavy garment that was symbolic of their role to call out the potential that God had in the nations and in the people. And that mantle represented their authority. And so as Elisha is working his field, And the prophet Elijah comes, takes off his cloak and puts it on him. It is the greatest disruption possible. What he was saying is that you can come and be just like me. You can come and be just like me. And in the culture of the day, to imagine that God would work through you to that capacity to imagine that God would choose you, want you, desire you, call you out, strikes at the heart of this sense of hesitation, this sense of self-condemnation, this sense of I don't deserve it. And the truth is, as a church, it is the heart of God to disrupt our world so that we can take hold of the mantle that He has available for us. That God in His goodness has chosen you. The God in His goodness has called you. The God in His goodness desires to break you free of the mundane so that you can see so far beyond into what He has available. See, in Galatians 3.27, it says that we have been clothed in Christ. So His mantle, the mantle of Jesus rests on your shoulders. So that means that you can actually be like Him. See, here's the point that we don't approach God with a desire to make God change and bend to our will, but instead we become people that when we approach God, we allow ourselves to be changed by Him. That it's the only way to be. That it's not my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in the disruptions that God wants to interject into our day to day, it's a reminder that He wants to put a mantle on our shoulders that allows us to see that while we feel sometimes we don't have enough, that we can't possibly break through, that this is too hard, that God would put on a mantle on us that says you can be just like Jesus. That you can be somebody who is a peacemaker in situations where there is no peace. That you can be somebody who shows up and extends love and grace where there is not love and grace. That you can be somebody who desperately believes in somebody so much that you can call out the grace and goodness of God in their life. That you can be somebody's champion. The idea that you can wear the mantle 
means that you can be just like the one who owns the mantle. We're called to be clothed with Christ. And 1 John 2.20 says that you have been anointed and appointed. means that you're set on a mission. So this idea of the mantle means that you can be hijacked in your day to day and given a mission from heaven to earth where only you can fulfil this, that there might be a word that God puts on your heart for somebody. There might be a prayer that you are called to pray and maybe nobody else is praying for that situation that you are in fact breaking ground and breaking through. That in wearing the mantle, you are appointed and empowered for something that goes so far beyond yourself. Ephesians 1, 4 and 2.10, it talks about that we have been chosen to do, to create the work which God planned in advance for us to do. But the idea of a disruption means that we're willing to lay down what we had. The amazing thing about the story of Elisha for me isn't just the fact that he was picked out or chosen, that when the mantle was put on his shoulder, he had the choice to respond. He runs up to the prophet Elijah and says, hey, can I go back and say goodbye to my family? And Elijah very rightly responds, what have I done to you? In that, the prophet Elijah was saying, it's your choice, mate, what you do. You get to choose to stay or to follow. Sometimes we think the choice is stay or go. Notice how go was not an option. It was stay or follow. Elisha was given the choice when the mantle was put on his shoulder to either stay where he was at or choose to follow and become just like the prophet who had called him out. See, if he had just gone, he would have gone into the unknown. He would have just gone into things that were not yet called to be, but in the call to follow Elijah the prophet, what he was called to do was to follow somebody so he could become like that person. And he chooses to go back home and he takes everything that he had and he burns it. He takes his oxen, he takes his ploughing equipment and he gives a sacrifice to God with it. Sometimes we're called to burn the past. Notice we're not called to burn people. He doesn't go back and say, hey, Hey, um, mum and dad are there. Can I go set their house on fire? (laughs) He wants to go kiss them goodbye. Notice he doesn't go back into the village and start denouncing all the other people in the village and says, hey, you doubted me. From the moment I was born, you just thought I was a farmer. Look at this. I'm chosen to be a prophet. You guys suck and I win. (laughs) He doesn't do that. See, sometimes we think of this idea when to let go of the past, we're just gonna find somebody else to blame about the things that have happened. But instead of that, he just he lets go of the things that may have held him back. And he sacrifices them to God, not to himself, but to God. He puts himself in a position where he will not be dependent on anything else but the call of God on his life. And he does something just drastic. He burns his past. You can just imagine getting those poor oxen together. Sure, they were delicious. Sure, they were wonderful. Those working class oxen that probably didn't have any fat on their body whatsoever. 
And he gets the beautiful wood of these ploughs and he breaks it down. Could you imagine being the village members, seeing this happen? What is this guy doing? It says that he makes up a barbecue, an open-air barbecue that he invites everybody to come around and partake of together. See, I I think it's the heart of God to interrupt us in our lives so that we can get our attention shifted from things that would distract us into the things that God's called us into. I believe it's the heart of God to disrupt us, to cause us to make the choices even daily Well, I pick up my cross and follow Him so that we can be led to moments of dedication where we can choose to sacrifice even the things that would hold us back and lay them aside. And we're called to dedicate so that we can sacrifice and serve. See, Elisha's account is that he sacrifices his bulls, he sacrifices the ploughs so that he can make a meal. Jamie Oliver, eat your heart out. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay ain't got anything on Elisha. That he prepares a feast. Can you imagine the bulls all lined up? Cooking, open fire, delicious, amazing. Come and grab a hunk yourself, cut it off. And he does it to serve. See, here's the point. Your sacrifice, my sacrifice is meant to make a difference in somebody's life. That your sacrifice is called to impact others. That it's not called to be something that you dance around the fire and celebrate by yourself. That we're called to invite people in and enjoy the journey together. I imagine it would have been a party. I imagine it would have been a moment of acknowledgement that Elisha, we're behind you on the adventure ahead. Because this moment of dedication, preceded by disruption, preceded by interruption, leads to a moment of sacrifice, service, and ultimately surrender. Awakened City, I'm convinced that the greatest way to live our lives is through a heart of surrender. He burnt it all up. I wonder if Elisha burnt it all up knowing that there may be times throughout the next couple of years as he followed the prophet Elijah where maybe he doubted himself. Here's the truth that I don't have time to unpack is that Elisha ends up serving Elijah for eight years. And we don't read much about it. Go on to the rest of 1 Kings, 2 Kings. You don't see a lot until the end of the prophet Elijah's ministry. And then Elisha enters into everything. Eight years walking on the roads with Elijah. Eight years where I imagine he's still wearing the mantle, but he hasn't entered into it fully. Eight years where he's learning the ropes, learning what it means to live by faith, learning what it means to break through when others would choose not to, learning what it means to pass through villages filled with people who maybe were unwilling to let go of the past and stayed there and camped there as He's passing through into the future that God's called Him into. Eight years in the Scriptures of silence where I'm sure Elisha was transformed from the inside out. Eight years of growth and development. And I wonder in those eight years, 
if camping by the roadside with Elijah without a McDonald's to go to, without a swag, without a hotel, without a Jeep to go off road, whether he would have doubted at any point, gosh, did I make the right call? Gosh, I had 12 yoke of oxen. They were beasts, boof. They were huge, bigger than your four-wheel drive, <laughs> strung together. That I had something, but what God called me into was so much more. And I wonder if right back at the start of His adventure, in His choice to burn it all, He was in a moment of surrender where He's coming before God and saying, I will not go back this way. I honour everything that you've led me into up to this point. I appreciate everything that was. I'm excited for things that are yet to be, but I take hold of what you're saying now and I will follow you. Sometimes the next best step is just to put one foot in front of the other. Sometimes the next best step is just to be obedient with what God has said now. Sometimes the next best step is to not get too far ahead of ourselves and try to imagine how the next eight years are going to play out. Gosh, how do I make sure this is successful for me? How do I get what I want out of this? What if the best way to live is to come to God and say, I surrender. I'm done trying to make it up all on my own. I'm done trying to work it out so that everything plays out the way that I want. I'm done. I'm actually gonna trust You for who You say You are. Jesus revealed You, God, as Father. And I know for some of us, that's a loaded term because maybe our earthly father wasn't everything an earthly father could be, but our heavenly Father provides for us perfectly, loves us completely and relentlessly calls us out. We are called to live a life of surrender. You know, there's a portion of Scripture in John chapter 21, starts in verse 15, where Jesus relentlessly pursues one of those who followed Him, but turned His back on Him. So Jesus had been preparing His followers for years in their walks along the highways and the byways and the travels out in the wilderness. He'd been preparing His followers and saying, at some point, something big's gonna happen. At some point, I'm going to leave you. It's quite explicit. He would even say to them, it's better for you that I go because when I go, I can send the Helper, the Counsellor, the Holy Spirit to come and live with you and in you. He was preparing them not to be dependent on Him physically walking with them. He was preparing them to live a life where God Himself dwelled in them as they walked on the road led by His Spirit. And so as He's preparing them, some of the disciples, one in particular, Peter sort of starts crying out that he'll never turn his back on Jesus. And Jesus mentions, well, funny you should say that, that at my greatest need, you're going to deny me three times. Can you imagine knowing that? Knowing that somebody who had journeyed with you for so long had it in their heart to deny you at your point of greatest need, not just once, not just twice, but three times. And Jesus never turned His back on him. Jesus never stopped 
calling out what was in Peter. So as Jesus is captured, as Jesus is tortured, Peter is given an opportunity to stand in solidarity with Jesus, to stand at the front row and support the one who he said previously was his Saviour and his King. And instead, he says, I don't even know the man. I don't know him. 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 And he cuts and he runs. And he goes right back to his old life. So the truth is, Peter had been a fisherman before Jesus had found him on the shore. And Jesus had said to him, Come and follow me. See, when Jesus said that to him, he was putting his mantle on his shoulders. And he's saying, You can come and be like me. See, at that point, Peter left everything behind, left his boat, left his nets, and desperately followed after that opportunity. I want to be just like Jesus. And then when put to the test, said, I can't, can't, I can't, I can't. It's too hard, it's too hard. I'm gonna go back to fishing because I didn't burn it. Didn't burn the nets, I didn't burn the boats, didn't make a barbecue. It's there, ready to go, I'll go back to it. I know it's been three years, I'm sure it's still there. It's all good. And he goes back. The account goes on that Jesus is crucified and He is ridiculed and He is virtually naked before people whipped and destroyed and He dies on the cross and on the, on the cross He dies saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And He dies on the cross for the forgiveness of all our sins, everything that has separated us from the love of God, everything that we've done in our lives to cause us to live lower than what God's called us to be. And He dies for that. And He's taken off and He's wrapped up and He's buried in a tomb. And on the third day, the stone that was in front of the tomb was pushed aside like it was nothing but a pebble. And Jesus Himself is resurrected and walks around because death could not hold Him down. And one of the first things He does is He goes to a beach and He calls out to the fisherman who's on his boat, tells him to put down his net. Fisherman pulls in a bumper, harvest. I don't know what you call it, catch. I got it right. And the fisherman, Peter, realises, whoa, this is Jesus. And he does what any well-meaning person should do in that moment. Strips off his outer garment, gets down to his speedos and he dives in and he starts powering for sure. I'm not sure what's going through his head. I'm sure in that moment he's not thinking, wow, I let you down so bad. I think he's just so caught up. This is real. And then as he pulls up, guess what Jesus has for him? Jesus has a barbecue. A barbecue of fish on the shore. Because Peter had been unwilling to go back and burn what he had. Here's Jesus burning what's there to create a barbecue, a feast, so that Peter could join with Him and have a meal to share. And in that meal, Jesus says to Peter, one time, do you love me? He says, I'm sorry, you know that I love you. Second time, do you love me? I'm so, yes, I love you. Third time, for each time he denied Jesus, Jesus restores him completely, without equivalation, without qualification, without having to go through the motions, without having to be good enough. 
And He restores him back into his mandate and his mantle of ministry. And He says, Peter, go and feed my sheep. Be like me. They even do the things that I did and more. Awaken City, we stand on the edge of a new season. We have come through a lot. I wish this year was easy. For those of you who have new and recently joined us, maybe you're unaware that we've suffered things unexpected. And all of a sudden, Rhiannon and I are in a position where we're lead pastors and we never expected we would be. But I wanna say to you, couldn't be more all in. Burn in the past. Can't go back. Can't go back. God is speaking to us now. And it's my conviction that He's calling us to finish the year and inherit all the promises that He made available throughout this year. The invitation's there, but just like Elijah, we all have the opportunity. Elijah said, what have I done to you? It's Elisha's choice to either stay or follow. And I realise for some of us, we have the choice to stay in what was or follow, or even in some situations we can choose to go. And I wanna put it out there. I wanna do everything possible to follow after the heartbeat of God because there is a mantle on each and every one of us to inherit and live out of that God Himself would call us to inherit and take hold of the ground that He has promised. And I wanna say clearly to you today, you are qualified because He's called you. You are qualified because He's paid the price for you. You are qualified because He has invited you and you're called to live out the life that He's given, no turning back in the Name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.